Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Aaron. Let's go. Let's go to 1938, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, California in the late 30s. This is a gripping film noir. Oh. It's about a calculating wife who encourages her wealthy husband to sign a double indemnity policy proposed by a smitten intelligent agent, Walter Neff. I've got a lot of problems with these adjectives already. As the would-be lovers plot the unsuspecting husband's murder, they are pursued by a suspicious claims manager. Ooh, the intrigue, everyone says. It's a race against time to get away with the perfect crime. Dun, dun, dun. I liked it. I liked it too. I think this is this is one of those films, people, that if you are if you are listening to this show because you also like old movies and classic films and just love filmmaking in general, this is one of those ones you should watch it. If you're one of those people who you just don't want to be left out of the party conversations and you've heard what double indemnity is and you're like, what is this movie? Like, give me the cliff notes so I can discuss. Then keep keep listening. Keep listening. The particulars, please. The particulars. Double indemnity. It was released on July third, nineteen forty-four. It was directed by my personal favorite, Billy yeah. Wilder. Yeah. Man, I mean, okay, we've already done some like it hot. Witness for the Prosecution, and The Apartment. He also did Sunset Boulevard, Sabrina, The Seven-Year Itch, and The Front Page. It was produced by Joseph Sistrom. The screenplay was by Billy Wilder himself. He, Well, not himself. He worked. He had a partner. But Billy Wilder wrote it. He also wrote The Lost Weekend, The Major and the Minor, Arise My Love, Nino Chinka, Oh, we're going to do that sometime. The uh, an affair, a foreign affair. I mean, Billy Wilder co-wrote most of his directing films, films that he directed. He co-wrote this screenplay with Raymond Chandler. Nerd alert. Never mind. That's a different nerd alert for later. Okay. <laughs> Weird notes. Go. Oh, Raymond Chandler, he also wrote the novels The Big Sleep. Farewell, My Lovely, The Little Sister, The Playback, Playback, and The Long Goodbye. And he also wrote scripts, The Unseen, The Blue Delilah, and Strangers on a Train. Mm. Mm-hmm. Was, oh. He was not an actor, though. No, he was an author. And, okay, okay, Nerd Alert, in 1932, at the age of 44, he lost his job as an oil salesman as an oil company executive. And so he just decided at 44 to become a detective fiction writer. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm, con- I'm, I'm um, thinking of somebody else. When I hear Raymond Chandler, I- I'm thinking of a different actor. Are you thinking of Raymond Burr? No, but I'm thinking of somebody Chandler. <laughs> Dorothy Chandler? I don't know. Moving on. Okay, it's based on the novella 
double indemnity, which was part of a three of a was part of a three of a kind, a, three novellas in one. So it was this career in C major and the embezzler, and that was by James M. Kane, and he wrote the postman always rings twice, mm-hmm. Mildred Pierce, and he also wrote scripts Algiers and Gypsy Wildcat. This reminded me a lot of The Postman Always Rings Twice. But, Wendy, I didn't see any peep-toe pumps. Wasn't the peep-toe pumps on the um, the Killers? Hmm. Postman Always Rings Twice. Lana Turner. Oh, okay. Nerd Alert. This is, um, he's credited with creating what's called Roman Noir or noir fiction, and it's similar to the hard-boiled genre. But in Roman noir, protagonist is not a detective. Ah. And is either the victim, the suspect, or the perpetrator. The protagonist is self-destructive and dealing with legal, political, or other system in which is no less corrupt than the perp, and by whom the protagonist is either victimized or has to victimize others on a daily basis, thus leading to a lose-lose situation for the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess in Hard Boiled, it's a detective that's involved. Mm-hmm. So the music is by Miklos Rosa. He also did The Four Feathers, The Beef of Baghdad, he won an Oscar for his score for Spellbound. Um, he did A Double Life, Ben-Hur, The Women of the Town, The Lost Weekend, The Killers, Madame Bovary in 1949, Time After Time. And his last score was for the 1982 Steve Martin parody of this genre, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Ah. That was his last film score. And the director of photography is John Sitz, S-E-I-T-Z. Mm. And he was nominated seven times for Oscars for his cinematography. He did, I just wrote this down. I don't know what this movie's about, but the title made me laugh. Trifling Women. It's <laughs> Trifling Women. Sullivan's Travels, Hail the Conquering Hero, The Lost Weekend, Sunset Boulevard, and Four Men of the Apocalypse, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Um, Nerd Alert, he has 18 patents to his name, and he invented the mat shot that's used. And that the mat shot is like in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they were going off the cliff, and how in the foreground the, it was a paint, like the cliffs were painted, And then you would put it on top of the other, the image of him coming down. And so they were doing that with film and they, and it was crazy painstaking and nerdy what they would do. Cause now computers just do it in an instant. Like you can do this stuff on your Ah. iPhone, but in the, um, when the film was getting developed, so you would have, you could have a background that was painted and you would shoot that. And then you would, um, lay the other thing on top of it and you would have to 
using different emollients and chemicals and stuff in the when it was getting developed like block out the certain areas and so a lot of times in these older movies this was one of the first kind of special effects and they would use it to create um you do all kinds of things like you could expand the scene add effects or a sense of depth of field to the background and he also was a big fan of low-key lighting, just like the German expressionist that we talked about when we did the movie M. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this guy was, he, he, he invented a lot of things. That is so cool. It was edited by Don Harrison. He was a consultant on Mike Nichols' film, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? He was nominated for an Oscar for editing Five Graves to Cairo, The Lost Weekend, Sunset Boulevard. And from 1941 to 1966, he edited or produced all of the films by Billy Wilder. Oh. Mm-hmm. The cast. We have Fred McMurray as Walter Neff. We also saw Fred McMurray in The Apartment. He was Mandrake, or Maldrake, whatever that guy's name is. Um, he was in The Shaggy Dog, The Absent-Minded Professor, and probably a lot of people your generation know him from my three sons yep and we have barbara stanwick she played phyllis dietrichson and she was also in stella dallas ball of fire sorry wrong number ladies of leisure meet john doe the lady eve and the thorn burns and at this time of this movie she was it she, she was. She, she was, was an it girl. She was the best actress, like in Hollywood. Just it was this woman. But she didn't get an Academy Award for this because. Well, because Ingrid Bergman did Gaslight, and exactly. we talked about Ingrid Bergman. Is yeah. this a knife? There is no knife in my hand, dear husband. <laughs> I was wor- I've been working on my Ingrid Bergman. Okay, got a little more work to do. I know it's a, because it just came out of me just now. I know. And I was like, I "You're drifting into Marlena Dietrich territory." Yeah, yeah. Walk it back. Walk it back. <laughs> we also have Edward G. Robinson as Barton yes. Keys. He was in Little Caesar, The Ten Commandments, The Stranger, Key Largo, Smart Money. The Cincinnati Kid, and Soylent Green, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And then there's like oh, a bunch of other people. N- none of them really popped to me, except for Jean Heather. She played Lola Dietrichson. She was in also in Going My Way. And then her career was cut short because in December 1947, she was in a car accident where she was thrown from the car and landed on her face. And she had severe facial lacerations. Oh, no, because she was beautiful. Well, at least no. there's this film. Wow. She can always look back at it. Wow. Well, not anymore. She's she's moved on. Yeah. And she's beautiful wherever she is now. You are beautiful. Man, that's rough. No matter what they say. You know, there's a there was a lot of um, rough things. Rough things that reminded me of, of just how rough the times were back in those days. Mm-hmm. We'll get to those later. 
Okay, those were my particulars. Well done. Well, the credits are rolling while a man in silhouette is walking on crutches. Ooh, and he's coming. It was very Citizen Kane to me. Coming closer and closer. Then there's a car speeding and swerving and stops at a building. And our Mr. Neff gets out. He's at the Pacific All Risk Insurance Agency. And they go, Mr. Neff, the, the people of color who are working there. Yes, we have we have a PO. So there was a man and two women because this is after hours at the insurance company. And so they are cleaning. And the elevator operator is quite a nosy, quite a Gladys Kravitz. A little chatty. And may I just interject here? Elevator operator. At some point, that was a career? My daddy was an elevator operator. Really? And then mm -hmm. were, did they people realize, like, we can press the button? button. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, was he like, man... Was he in the union and angry and like, they're getting rid of our jobs. Pe what, people are just going to press the buttons themselves? I I know that, and you won't know this, but he, he was downtown Cincinnati and Eddie Albert used to always get on his elevator. Eddie Albert was a personality at the time. I've never heard of Eddie Albert. Yeah, he was in, he was actually in Green Acres as a place for me. Um but yeah, anyway, moving on. Yes, there were elevator operators. Um, and so, but you can tell Mr. Neff is not 100% and he, he can only use one arm. And then he sits down at his desk and it looks like there's a bullet hole in his <laughs> other shoulder. At this point, I am laughing so hard because this guy... <laughs> I'm just like, ah, these these film noirs. Look at this guy. He's got a a chunk of lead in his shoulder and he's just sitting down trying to he has to all calm. He's not afraid. If I had a bullet in my shoulder, <laughs> I'd be running around screaming like a mad woman. And you would be sure it was gonna give you cancer of the shoulder. Oh, not only that, are you gonna have to take my shoulder? Doc, tell it to me straight. Can you save the shoulder? Is there any way to take the shoulder but leave the arm? <laughs> take my shoulder but leave my arm, please. He's trying to get a cigarette one-handed, and then he scooches to the dictaphone. But, and, and it's everything is such a everything is such a to-do for this guy. It's, it's difficult to do one-handed with lead the, in your the, shoulder. The cigarette, then he has to scooch, and he's just like, ah, ugh. He has to pick up the dictaphone with one hand and keep the cigarette. Is, does he have a cigarette in his mouth still with the dictaphone? Probably. Is he? Yeah. One of my faves, though. Well, I'm going to save that for my MVP because oh. I didn't have an MVP, and I'm going to save it for that. Okay, so just hold on, people, because it's a good one. Okay, so he's sweating, and he is confessing on the dictaphone. Yeah, let me tell you a little story here, Keys. See? See? He, yeah, he was doing the Edward G. Robinson talk, and Edward G. Robinson wasn't. Okay, so he's saying um, to the wolf on a phony claim, it wasn't an accident. See? Check. 
It wasn't suicide. Check. It was murder. Check. But you made one mistake. See, you got the wrong guy. I killed him, I tell you. <laughs> and so the story begins. So you're just like, well, great. Spoil the movie for me. Yeah, Led, the end Led is belly the shoulder. Okay, so into the dictaphone he's speaking. So it's like a monologue, a voiceover. I couldn't remember that when I was writing it down. Um, dictaphone insurance is running out. Uh, oh, okay. So we so, go to the flashback. Where it, it all began. Yeah. So he goes to Dietrichson's house. My notes didn't say dictaphone. They said Dietrichson. I have a and, nerd alert. I have a nerd alert. Go ahead. Dietrichson, that's not what it is in the novellas. In the novellas, it's <laughs> I, can't, I can't say Trump. No, Is it Trump? it's not. Remember um, when I used to call my brother Nerdlinger? Yes, it's Nerdlinger. Are you kidding? <laughs> they were There's they were names. Phyllis Nerdlinger and Billy Wilder says, "Nah, we're uh, we're not having Phyllis Nerdlinger." As the femme fatale in this film. <laughs> oh, that's nope. hysterical. But we did have a German name in the 40s, didn't we? So we're like, oh, we need some. We need something that will, as soon as you hear the name, you know this person's no good. Evil. Dietrichson! Dietrichson! Okay, actually, you could even make it into a Japanese name. Oh, Dietrichson! Dietrichson? <laughs> Okay, well, he's there because his uh, Dietrichson's insurance policy is running out. His um, car cars, cars, yeah. And uh, the the housekeeper lets him in. Who is white? Who was white? No nonsense. Working class white woman. And um, Phyllis comes to the top of nerdlinger, the wrapped in a towel. And she says to the maid, show him into the living room. So he's having this monologue voiceover. Um, well, there's, she, a there's a great line. The housekeeper says um, they keep the liquor locked up. And old Neff is cool as a cucumber. And he's got to come back for everything. He says, that's all right. I, I brought my own key. <laughs> he's got to come back for everything. Oh, he's a, he's a little wise ass. This is totally against how cast what how he's usually cast. Okay, so really because that's because all I know Frederick Murray, I know him from the guy who was sleeping around on his wife, Mandrake, from the mm-hmm. apartment, and I've always known him from this. And everybody's yeah. like, no, he was like Mister Square, my three sons. I'm like, I don't know my three sons. I know this guy is as being a wise ass. Well, he's saying that he's had this dude's car insurance for three years, and it's about to lapse. So he sees a picture of Dietrichson and his daughter, Lola. Well, he's flirting with Phyllis, and she's pacing. um, And and there is a lot of banter between them. You can't figure out who's badder. (laughs) So she's going, you're a smart insurance man, aren't you? It's... And then well, she's she a asks, little more seductive than that. <laughs> Mary, you're, sh- you're a smart. 
<laughs> yeah, we did share. Yeah. You're like, what did what did Neff ever see? A nerdlinger. You're a spy and share salesman, aren't you? I'm nerdlinger. Oh well, we we're gonna start doing for recasting, we're gonna start having a nerd cast. The Nerdlinger cast? The Nerdlinger cast. Oh, I'm going to have to think of that while you're talking. It's just okay. always going to be your main guy, uh, Michael Sierra. <laughs> well, you're just... there's, there's Jonah Hill. There's, there, there are a couple others. There's, there's, oh, that's it. <laughs> there's the guy who's in the act. There's the girl who's in the act. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, she says, come around tomorrow, come around tomorrow, around 8.30, and he'll be here. Now you're like Lauren Bacall. <laughs> oh, I was trying to be Mae West. Oh. Um, so, uh, he, wait. Well, they have their famous, like, suppose, because, you know, this whole time he's been, he's been rather, you know, aggressive and stating his claim, which is, a little problematic because this this is a married woman he's speaking to yeah and so and and uh old phyllis nerdlinger points him out to him he says hey watch your speed limit buddy <laughs> and he goes suppose goes, i don't the speed limit here is 45 excuse me but the speed limit here is a uh, 45 thank you very much and he, and he goes, well, what am I going? And she goes, you're going around 90. And he goes, suppose you give me a ticket. And she's like, suppose I do. And I wrap your knuckles. And he's like, and they just keep going with supposing. <laughs> until finally he's like, she's like, well, suppose you put your head on my shoulder, my husband's shoulders. And he's like, that tears it. <laughs> and walks out. It was, it was really, I wrote down gangster banter. Yeah, but that's one of the most famous exchanges ah. in cinema. Because it's a, ah. it goes back and forth, and it's supposed, and then he ends it with that tears it, and he walks out. And I'm just like, man, I got like they go from that to just like they're in love in like that tears it. Like he's that's it. He's forty five to ninety. He'll murder for this woman. Uh, and he leaves the house, the house that is still standing in Los Angeles today. Yeah. We're going to have to drive by it in 11 days. Okay, as long as you know where it is. They said Quebec Street, Quebec Avenue. Okay, okay. back at the office, there's a Mr. Keys. This is Mr. Edward G. And he is a claims, I said adjuster, but he's not. He's a claims person i was just thinking man insurance sure has changed <laughs> this, this, i don't like uh, i i work with some claims adjusters they're uh they're not smoking in offices and leading investigations well his job is to find the phony claims and he's got he's got something in his in his in his chest it's called he the, knows what when it's phony in his chest. It's called the little man. And so he's going, uh, uh, this one, this one is a phony. And I go, another one bites the dust. He's been doing this for 26 years. And, um, well, he gets a phone message from Mrs. D to come Thursday afternoon instead of tomorrow night at 8.30. And then he's talking about that anklet. 
that's cutting into her leg. Which, that didn't sound sexy to me. No, because it reminds me of, you know, how I could never wear an anklet, you know, because Hillary and I just don't have the gams for that. Well, you have the the sturdy peasant ankles. Yes, I do. I have the Pootsfrau ankle. And so, uh, (laughs) you know, even if it were the size of a necklace, it would be cutting into my ankle. Hey, this world, the worlds and civilizations have been built upon those ankles. That's right. <laughs> okay. So at, uh, now he's back at the Dietrichsons, and he says, I thought uh, she thought my husband would be here. Oh, and just happens to be the maid's day off, too. Oh, I forgot all about that. Oh, I do declare. You know Barbara Stanwyck was up for the role of... What's a face? Scarlet? Yeah. No. Well, no. I no. mean, she was she was in contention for it. We said it. I know, but that just I'm glad that didn't work. Well, then she asks about his commission. Um, then she's worried about her husband because he's in a really dangerous job, and she was wondering, uh, you know, is like is there like accident insurance? Um. And then they're talking about the capital sum in the case and if he gets killed. And um, so she's going to talk to him. And but she says, don't 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 act like we talk to each other about this. I'm going to talk to him, but you don't talk to him about it. And um, but is it would it be possible to get this accident policy without him? Knowing about it. You know, I don't, he's such a busy man. I don't want him to, it's, I've been saving some money up and, you know, I'll just pay for it for him. It's one less thing he has to worry about. You know, how men, they have so much going on, too much on their plate. And, and so Neff is saying there, yeah, because there are a lot of ways he could die. And he's naming all the different ways he could die. And then he goes to her. But you're not going to get away with it. Yeah. It's like the, the cases I've seen. There was We've this... seen it all. Yeah. And <sighs> so she says, get out of here. How dare you think I want to kill my husband? I just want to have an accident policy in case something happens to him. So then he's doing his monologue again. And he, he says, I had a red hot poker and I needed to drop it before my hand burned off. Nope. So he goes to a car hop place and he orders a beer. This, I love this. This was, <laughs> I was like, the first thing I saw was, oh, that looks fantastic. And then I, re- I like the other thing I kicked in, I'm like, no, you idiot. He's in a car and they just served him an alcoholic beverage. Like, <laughs> No. With the ignition running. With the ignition running. This is this is a horrible idea. Also, look at this car. Look at that car. That's a death trap. There's no seatbelt. There's no headrest. No. And then when I read about it old worked. old what's her face taking a header out the car, I was like, Yeah, because you're going around serving beer to people <laughs> in cars with no seatbelts or nothing. Well then after the beer, he goes to the bowling alley. Why didn't he just go to the bowling alley and have his beer there? Well, no, well, because he went to there, he got the beer, then he didn't want to go to the office. He still had to 
<laughs> I don't know. I guess that's how bowling was back in the day, where it was like, I just need to blow off some steam. I guess so. There wasn't that much to do. So, yeah, he was just like, I'm going. <laughs> and he's just rolling a few. And then it made me chuckle because I thought of, like, an alternate universe where this. No, was is this the same universe as the Big Lebowski? It's just later. <laughs> And then, like, I really went down that rabbit hole and had to stop and rewind because I missed a lot thinking about <laughs> is double indemnity in the same cinematic universe as the Big Lebowski. Wow. Okay. Well, then he goes home and he's all twisted up inside. See, he hadn't walked out on anything. The, it, the hook was too strong. It was only the beginning. And then... Bzzz. his buzzer rang what there she was oh there she how'd she find him she goes you forgot your hat <laughs> she doesn't have a hat in her hand <laughs> he comes in he goes put it over there on the chair so she walks in because they both know she doesn't have a hat <laughs> oh man <sighs> these two they're meant for each other. They're speaking the same language. I'm Look at them. You. Embers are a burning. At this point, I wrote, that is a hell of a wig. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a nerd that. alert. I know it is. You want to do it now? I guess so. Might as well. Might as well, because it's a hell of a wig. So they, they put her in a blonde. Billy Wilder wanted her in a blonde wig because... He wanted to make sure that that um, people saw that she was uh, like she wasn't classy. Like this isn't a classy woman. This is somebody who's Target. trying. She's yeah. And she's trying real hard. And he wanted it to be obvious that that was a blonde wig. And she's she's just trying too hard. And <laughs> well, the wig maker didn't try hard enough. <laughs> so, well, no, because they, they, when before shooting and stuff, everybody was like, Billy, like, what? I understand that you want her to be blonde, but there was somebody in the production, and I think it was a woman, but and behind the scenes in a department, and they were like, you know, we wanted, um, we wanted Barbara Stanwyck in a blonde wig, we didn't want George Washington. <laughs> I was like, whoa, somebody's got jokes on that set. So Wilder was, he was very adamant. He was like, no, I want the wig to be bad. And so they get into shooting and it's about four weeks in the shooting. And Billy Wilder's like, oh my God, I've made a horrible mistake. This is a horrible wig. This thing is you know, horrible. And then watch he, it just for the wig. Yeah. And then he, and then he was like, but I can't. I'm in, I'm in too deep now. I have to keep yeah. going with this wig. And so then that's when he came up with his, the story about, oh, I, I wanted it. I wanted it to be horrible yeah. on purpose. See? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, Cause she's, she's a like, yeah, she's look at her character. Why would her care? Like she's the kind of person who would wear such a horrible wig. Yeah. That yeah. wig should have its own billing. Yeah. It's a, because I didn't realize it was a wig. In the first shot of Barbara Stanwyck, I'm like, so that's Barbara Stanwyck? <laughs> and I had forgotten that we had seen her in, didn't we do the Lady Eve? No. Oh, we didn't? Mm -mm. Well, I've seen the Lady Eve. And 
I was like, I. She didn't have that wig on, did she? No. <laughs> what color was her hair? I think she was a brunette. Because in the Big Valley, she had blonde hair. I don't know, but I remember seeing, like, the first time I saw her, which is the first time our man Neff sees her, and we're both supposed to be like, well, that's it. Like, I would I would commit murder for, oh, my gosh, I just came up with a recasting as I was saying this. Because I was like, well, who would you, upon first glance, see and be like, I'd commit murder, I guess. Um, but anyway, I was like, oh, <laughs> Huh. Yeah. That's not a great look. I didn't I just took the whole thing together. I didn't piece together like the wig until later when there's a scene where she's wearing sunglasses. Yeah, I know. It's so, and it's I'm so like, bad. what the hell is going on? <laughs> okay, well, we went down a whole wig rabbit hole. But so she goes to him, I want you to be nice to me. Uh, something's happened and they kiss and he goes, I'm crazy about you, baby. And they have drinks and he starts telling about wives who didn't get away with it. Yeah. Um, and, and he's going, so you, you just, it's not a good idea. And she goes, you don't have to sit and smile at him and his daughter every morning. And so we find out that she was, nerdlinger's wife's nurse yeah i'm just like man this just keeps getting more yeah. dateline by the minute and she was so sick and um so if he dies right now all of his life insurance goes to that daughter of his uh, i don't want to kill him but i do wish he was dead well, at this point, Fred McMurray tells her about Keys, and Keys is a dog with a bone, and he's not—he's not gonna let her get away with it. He's seen it all, and he says, "If there's insurance on this dude, you don't have a prayer." But I have been thinking about a way to get away with it. If you know, yeah, I'm an insurance. I spend a lot of time. I see a lot. I am able to dissect what people have done wrong. It's you know, just as a hobby. I'm. We don't know what this is that I am into, but we'll find out. It's called true crime, and I've come <laughs> up with my own, you know, my own little working theory of the can't miss scheme. Just, just on my own. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, just back pocket in case I ever come across a smoking hot broad who needed her husband out of the picture and I could swoop in. This isn't a fantasy of mine or anything. I'm just supposing here. And he said that he didn't fight it hard enough. You know, the thought of... No. Shouldn't, he I shouldn't kill the guy. He jumped right in. Yeah, he jumped right in. He was like, I think you might want to offer your husband... I just happen to have been working on this. So he says, you're going to do it and I'm going to help you. But it's got to be perfect straight down the line. Well, it certainly did rain a lot in L.A. at this part of the movie. A lot of rain. It must have been that week in January. Ah. The rain week, as we call it. <laughs> it better not be in 11 days. So... He's going to fix her up with the accident policy. Um, and you got to think with your brains. So 
she brought in Lola as a witness the, the night before this is going to happen. Well, no, the night that he comes to do the sales pitch to get the accident insurance policy signed. Mm-hmm. So she and Lola are playing, are they playing Scrabble or something? No, they're playing what I don't know the correct terminology of this game is. I don't know if this is a problematic term or anything, but it Chinese checkers. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I, I wonder why it's called Chinese. Checkers. I don't know. I, apo- I, have, I don't want to go I'm down very, that rabbit hole. I don't mean to. I'm, I'm I using, used to play it. Yes, I we, I had a thing myself. I don't know if that's what, like, apologies if we're not supposed to call it that. I don't know. I'm ignorant. Well, we could call it Marbles Checkers now. The marbles Checkers. I don't even know how to play it. I never learned. Okay, well, he does his sales pitch, and then he actually brings up accident insurance. And the, so, um, the guy's... Uh... No, 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 no. <laughs> so he goes, here, sign your car insurance. Uh, Be sure to sign both copies of your car insurance. Well, it happens that the next day there's a class reunion. Where did he go to college? Stanford. Stanford. How did I forget? And there's a class reunion. So he's going to go to bed because he's going to um, take the train to his class reunion. Mm -hmm. And... um, So he has a trip to Palo Alto planned on the train and he had, they had him sign a $50,000 accident insurance policy, but with double indemnity, it would be Mm 100,000. Now go ahead and explain to our peeps. What is double indemnity? Nerd alert. So double indemnity is when is the insurance will pay out double on accidents, if somebody dies in an accident that they deem to be extremely unlikely to happen. So, accidents that seldom happen. Right. So um, dying on a train was considered to be double indemnity because trains went like 15 miles an hour. And did it, I wonder if it ha- if it was the same if it was like in a train crash, like a derailment. Mm-hmm. It was still those didn't be... happen very often. Oh, okay. Back then, um, and this was past the time when you know when the um, cowboys would come and rob a train. Yes, I mean this is nineteen thirty, the nineteen thirties. So we've, I mean we we uh, did horrible things to all the people who were when here did originally. Butch and Sundance do their shenanigans. Butch Sundance. Maybe in like the late eighteen hundreds. Oh yeah, because like around she wore the turn all that, of the century. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Because getting Another their picture home. taken was a big thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's double indemnity. So he leaves. They have the double indemnity policy signed. He gets and just in his to car. be clear, Dietrichson he he was pitched on the accident insurance, and Dietrichson was like, "What? Next thing you're gonna want me to buy all what earthquake insurance?" No, and, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah, "That's yeah. like you definitely need to have that, Dietrichson." And he's like, "Lightning insurance, thunder insurance." I was like, "Look, for a guy who went to Stanford." You're acting pretty brand new about earthquakes and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, don't lump in earthquake insurance with thunder and lightning insurance. 
But needless to say, he passes on the accident insurance, but he ends up signing it because the second, what was deemed as the copy was really the accident insurance. So that's how they got him to sign it. Because there wasn't a Xerox machine at the time. Right. Okay, well, Neff goes to get in his car, and who's already in his car? Lola. Lola. Because whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. She says, give me a ride. And he's going, you're having a tough time at home? And she is going to see Nino. Scaramucci or something. She picks her own friends. Okay. So he's feeling bad about her because she's, you know, going to be an orphan. But not bad enough to not actually go through with it. So they have this market where they meet Phyllis and Walter because no one will notice that they're talking to each other at this market. Well, because the whole thing is that they can't be seen out in the world together. Because that's the thing. Like, the whole thing with Neff is that he's gone through all... He's been around Keys long enough to know how Keys thinks and how he pieces things together. So he's he says Keys is going to ask to see if we've ever been with each other. And we have to... We can't be seen anywhere. So we can be seen at a market that I shop at and you just happen to shop at. Nobody's going to link anything together. And, you know, this is before video cameras and stuff, obviously. But they're standing at the produce talking to each other. Yeah, but nobody's, but you're, like, nobody's going to piece that together. There's no witness that's going to be like, oh, yeah, I saw these two people talking to each other in the produce. Okay. Well, she says, we, we have to postpone it. He broke his leg and he's not going. Um, and, and he's going, he has to take the train tonight. This can't wait. But why does he have to take the train tonight? Because they have it all set up for tonight. I don't know. It's been a full week and they've had no contact and he's itching. <laughs> well, it's June 15th. Keys is in his office and he comes in and he goes, um, I need an assistant, and it's $50 less a week to be a claims processor, but uh, I need somebody smart, and I need you to do it. And um, he's going, I don't want to. I want to be out there meeting the people. And talk to them. Oh, by the way, there's a dame on the phone. And the dame on the phone goes, he's going on the train tonight. Yeah, and I don't understand Keys. Keys is telling him, you need to become my assistant that's the pitch, so it's okay. It's $50 less. Yeah. That's your keys. You're coming to me saying that I need to do a job that's harder than the one I already have, and I'm going to get paid $50 less? No, buddy. That, I guess this is why you're a claims adjuster and not a claims salesman, because that's a terrible pitch. Well, he's got his alibi and he's following a strict timetable and he's monologuing his timetable step by step. She takes her husband to the train station and he's, and the, and the husband's going, wait, you turned down the wrong street. What, what, what's, what's going on? And then she honks the horn three times and 
Walter. Well, can we set do we should set up how he sets up his uh alibi? Okay, go ahead. Because he goes in, he makes sure that he puts his car away, and the car guy, Charlie, is the car guy. He's a black guy, puts it in. I think he even asked Charlie to wash it or something. Yep. He goes upstairs, he changes into a dark blue suit, he grabs some tape and some gauze to make a cast, which made me laugh because I'm like, okay. Um, he goes down the back service stairway so that no one will see him and nobody does see him. He walks all the way to the Nerdlinger's place. He gets in the back seat of the car on the ground and lays down. And then the Nerdlinger son and Phyllis, Phyllis drives because he's jacked up and they're driving down. And then the cue was they're going to, they go down this dark alley that nobody's supposed to be on. And when she honks the horn three times, that's his cue to come up from the back seat and strangle. I thought strangle, but it wasn't strangle. It was she, he broke his neck. Yeah, but because of nerd alert, the haze code, we couldn't, we don't see what happens, which it's actually great filmmaking. I thought it was better than seeing Yeah, because she honks neck. three times and then, and you just hear the husband like, hey, what's going on? And like, Ugh. And the the music, which is great, swells up, and it's just on uh, the wig's face, Phyllis. Phyllis's <laughs> face the entire time, and then um, you know the music's great, and her face is all like weird and demented and stuff. So I thought it was strangle, which didn't make any sense for how that would play out, and it, but it certainly doesn't sound like a neck break. No, we didn't hear the crack. Yeah. Okay. Well, the camera was on her the whole time. Well, now Walter is going to pretend to be Dietrichson. They got, they got Walter, mm -mm. they got Nerdlinger out of the car, put him on the tracks. Um, she well, had to go well, back. No, to no, they didn't action. do that. Yet. He's in the back seat. So oh. Walter, or yeah, Neff gets out and he be he assumes Nerdlinger's identity and he's got his hat on and it's down and he's trying to make himself inconsp he doesn't want anybody to see him obviously his face or get a good look. So he gets on the train and the plan is he go he's gonna go to the back and when it gets like outside of Burbank somewhere, he's gonna jump off the train and that's where like the she's gonna take the car there He'll run, they'll put the body there, and then they'll drive off. That's the plan. So he gets on the car. We also have a POC. There were two black porters there on the train. Mm -hmm. um, so he gets back. Everything's going according to plan. He's about to jump off, and there's a guy in the caboose also. And he's like, oh, hey there, fellow. It's uh, Heidi Hodely. <laughs> and Neff's like, son of a bitch man <laughs> jeez you are not part of my plan yeah so he he's able to get the guy to go back he says that he needs his uh cigarettes cigars and cigars the guy was offering him a cigarette he said no i need cigars yeah so it's like oh, i'll go get them for you i'm just like man 
these people were like really polite back in the day i guess like white people to white people politeness <laughs> oh. oh i'm gonna go i guess it's like take that back it's white men to white men politeness yeah go on get in my bag get go. out my uh yeah go like through all my stuff yeah give me my, my cigars my door's not locked yeah. yeah but i mean it's it's funny that this guy will go do that because what's his face needs him to go do that because he needs to be alone so he goes back and he throws the crutches over and he jumps off the train. And then he runs yep. over to the car. He's like, hurry up. We got to make this quick. And so they carry the body onto the tracks and they throw the, the clubs there. And then they're like, all right, let's skedaddle. And then what happens? The car won't start. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> <coughs> so finally he gets it started of course it takes a man yeah <coughs> so they are uh rehearsing what she's gonna say at the inquest and she drops him off and they oh i love you i love you i love you <laughs> we just committed murder yeah well, there's nothing hotter than murder so uh he goes down to the garage so that charlie can see him he changes um, his clothes again um everything everything could go wrong and he's got the walk of a dead man at this point an hour has passed oh there you have it there you have it people well we're probably gonna end up spoiling it as we go into our categories but yes we i'm sure we will so the total poc count i had six you had six i did i had i had six then I think we're pretty accurate. Yeah. They were all um, either custodial staff or porters on the train. Mm-hmm. All, all there to um, to be of service. Service to others. Mm-hmm. With a smile. And a, thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, nerd alerts that we haven't said yet? Let's see. Nerd alerts. I'll have a swing. Well, my nerd alerts and my tasty nuggets are all combined. I agree. So I did my nerd alerts. And we'll just go use these as tasty nuggets. Okay. So we are to reheatables. Okay. Okay. Well, my number one negative is the wig. That was my number one bad one. Ooh. That's rough. And then I had the, <laughs> I had Edward G. Robinson didn't do the gangster rap. Fred McMurray was doing the gangster rap, not yeah Edward G. Robinson. Why is it like Edward G. Robinson? Because that's what he was known for doing. Yeah. See. Yeah. Well, he kind of had his rap though in that scene where he's in with the boss, and the boss is saying. That's true. It was suicide, and he's just kind of as leaning, and he's like, "All right, like that. Was, that was a that's a great Edward G. Robinson scene. It is. It is. Okay. Well, uh, when uh, Edward G. Robinson needed a smoke, even though he had really bad acid indigestion, he was going to smoke with acid indigestion because everybody like smokes an elixir and makes him feel good. And then my last one was the sunglasses over the wig. <laughs> Okay, those of you of my generation remember Gloria Steinem 
and how she would always wear her glasses over her straight hair. Um, oh, yeah. It was that look, but it didn't work. Hmm. Okay, so your negatives. All right, well, I have the Babs's hair piece. Um, the whole thing, I thought that he was choked, but then because he, he dies because his neck was broken. Right. And it always just sounded like a choking to me. So that was kind of one of my questions. But you saw Because wouldn't, wouldn't there be handprints on his neck? Well, yeah. From... They were, I had a feeling that they, in my mind, which I know is wrong because they didn't show it, but that he they strangled him. And that's what I couldn't. That was why it was on a bad reheatable for me because I'm like, yeah. but he would have ligature marks on his neck. That's what I saw. So it doesn't yeah. make, I guess that they... The censors, because this movie was yeah. not able to be made for a long time because of the Hayes Code. Because, I mean, it's two people. The woman is married, so they're having an affair, and they're plotting we the murder. We never see a physicalness except for the um, the kissing. Yeah, and they're plotting the murder yes. for money. Yes. So it was just a whole bunch of things that the censors were up in arms about. Um, so I'm guessing that they couldn't have just like, somebody couldn't have just snapped celery and put that in for the audio. <laughs> that would have been good. I know, but I think that they would have been like, oh, that's too gruesome. We have yeah, to. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I guess that's something you're just not supposed to think too hard of. But like us in these true crime dateline world that we live in, mm -hmm. we're like, oh, a second yeah. it would be ligature marks that's right um and i also have the beer at the drive-in like <laughs> that has not aged well yeah you, you can't get a beer at sonic yeah <laughs> and, and if you're like me who at first you were like well why can't oh that's right because <laughs> I'm actually going to drive after yeah, this. Yeah, because you're drive because yeah. you you're in a car. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and then also there was this thing. Okay, then spoiler alert at the end, the same kind of thing, the gunshot. <laughs> I kept falling asleep when I w was watching this last <laughs> night, and I'm like, wait, I. I thought that the two shots at the very end were how he got shot. And I, all night I'm thinking like, but how does that work? And then when I rewatched it and he's at the window and there's just the gunshot, but there's no, they don't have squibs. There's none of that. So it's just, you just hear a shot, which it was a, it was a bad shot. This the sound, the sounds of the gunshots were subpar. I'm sorry, Billy Wilder. But that's I'm the sorry truth. that we actually know what gunshots sound like. Now. Um, and then also, so at the beginning of the movie when he's with her, I'm like, wait a second, what's with the ring on his ring finger? Yeah, is he married? And then apparently Fred McMurray was married in real life and just forgot to take the ring off, and no one noticed it until post production. And they, when I read it, it was like only one scene, but no, there were several there scenes. There were a bunch where he's just, because I'm like, oh, he's married too. And we're going to see that. And then when he, there's a scene where she comes to his place and she's, it's obvious that he's not married. I'm like, but what about that ring? And then you see it and you see it again. Cause I was like, oh, well maybe it was on his right hand. 
And then I see it again. I'm like, no, that's his nope. left hand. Yeah. He's wearing yeah. a wedding ring. Yeah. So those, and then there, the scene that I talked about earlier with, um, Edward G. Robinson, he kind of, when he walks in, so Edward G. Robinson, he's wearing a tie He's and he's wearing a vest, but he's not wearing a suit jacket. And his boss kind of lets him have his, like, what were you, take your, you're on vacation or something? And I was like, damn, the man's wearing a tie and a vest. <laughs> like, geez. Yeah. Okay, I wrote for, for good reheatables, um, suspect suicide. I don't know why I wrote that. That they suspected that it was suicide because that's that's kind of that what's presented. I don't know why I wrote that. So we will just go on. We'll move on. Oh, okay. Um. I oh maybe because it was a because they had never they had never thought of that. They just assumed that it was gonna be that he maybe. was gonna it was an accident and he died. And so oh, it was, was when the they money. suspected suicide because that had never come yeah. up in their planning. In their plan, that's and that's was. where they were like, what? what? No, no, they think that he killed himself? Yeah. Damn it. That's why, why it was, because it was like, oh, man, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for explaining my thinking to me. <laughs> You're welcome. I speak ma. <laughs> Your positives? Um. Well, the cinematography... Yeah, the cinematography was cool. And I'll get into that with my tasty nuggets. Um, the death, the murder scene, that was great. Yeah, it was. I like that the haze, the whole haze thing didn't let him, because it was just her face. Mm -hmm. And then, like, my best, re, another best reheatable is just, like, Edward G. Robinson and just how he, yes. he is just a very smart mind. He was always looking for how people were trying to get over on him and just, like, calling him out but he would wait to get the proof yes yes mm -hmm. yes we, we could have used him in the Mueller report okay well my MVP mm -hmm. Fred McMurray can light a match with his thumbnail one handed well that's because those are those matches that combust and they weren't safety matches. It's true. Exactly. And we talked about and, this. And did you notice that exchange? It's towards the end of the film when they're in the lobby of the Pacific building and what's-his-face buys a, cig a cigar and he's looking around for matches, Edward G. Robinson, and Neff says, you know, they sell matches when you buy the cigars. All you have to do is ask for them. And Edward G. Robinson is like, I don't like carrying matches on me because they tend to just light. Ah. Like it was, it was real, real quick. And I was like, aha, exactly. If you're able to one-handed hold a match and light it with your finger, you think that, and those pants, you know, they were coarse material back then. You're going to tell me the man just, he jumps out of his chair one fast, one too many times. Instant, instant inferno in his pants. Sort of like me wearing corduroy pants. Exactly. I couldn't wear, like, those matches in the vicinity of my thighs rubbing together with the corduroy pants, It would I would not be allowed in a national forest. Like, you no. Know, only you can prevent forest fires by not wearing corduroys with matches in your pants. Mm. 
Oh, well, but still, the fact that he can do it one-handed with his thumbnail, oh, that was cool. Indeed. Was that it? That's my MVP. That and Edward G. Robinson. Oh, all right. Well, of course, the score is fantastic. That's an honorable mention MVP. The director of photography, that's, I mean, this guy, he was on it. My MVP, though, is the car not starting. That's true. Because that was great. It, they were already at home free, and the car's not going to start. And they're just like, oh. I'm like, well, guys, you you got to get out of there. And you can't leave the car. It's the most, it's the horrible thing. Because you can't, well, ma'am, what was your car doing where we found the body of your husband? Uh, ma'am, what are why are you dressed? Wait, you're the insurance salesman and you're dressed in a dark. You look just like. Wait a second. The, just the whole gig would have been up. I have gone down the rabbit hole of safety matches. They were actually invented in the 1830s. But big matches didn't want safety matches on their block. Was there a whole lobby? I am, I'm trying to find when they, you know, like, I, I am not seeing when they first came in and I did a whole research paper. Yeah, but you did it like 50 years ago. Okay. So like, okay, moving on. That was it. Those are my MVPs. Okay. (laughs) Recasting. Who's your cast? Okay. My Phyllis. Now, Phyllis is, uh, remember, she was the um, nursemaid to his first wife who died. And so Phyllis has been around the block a couple times. She's not a young young chick. Oh, nerd alert. I think I remember reading in the novella that Phyllis, not only did she like off the first wife, but that she she killed a bunch of people as a nurse. Oh, she see, was, we do find out um, that she killed the the wife, but oh, well, mm-hmm. I have her as Angela Bassett. Oh, interesting. So my Walter is supposed to be somebody who was always, you know, kind of a, a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. Until he fell under the spell. Mm-hmm. Blair Underwood. I thought that you were going to say Courtney B. Vance because they're married in real life. I know, but I didn't go there. Oh. So Keys, Edward G. Robinson, is being played by Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, that would be good. I could see that. He'd have a few motherfuckers in there. Yeah, of course. And Lola, just oh. nice old Lola, is Paula Patton. Mm, I like it. Nice. And, and so you're recasting? All right. Well, I came up with one while we were doing this real quick. When I was like, oh, yeah. Huh. So th- my first one that I came up with was for Neff, um, the guy, Zachary... Lev- Levi or Levy? Yes, yes. He was yes. in Shazam Ch- and 
The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I thought you'd be good. Yep. Um, for Phyllis, I was like, well, why don't we throw Brie Larson in there? Oh, because she can do anything. Yeah. Because like, she could come across as really sweet in the beginning. And yeah, be- but then she could also have, she has like a really good like side eye mean stare. So I was like, there we go. That could turn. <laughs> and could be equally hysterical in a George Washington wig. <laughs> We're going to redo the wig. <laughs> and then my keys I picked as Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Cause, she, cause he has to be a smart guy, a yeah. smart ass guy, and he yeah. has to he has to really enjoy showing off how smart he is. Yeah, but do it in an engaging way where you're yeah. like, I'm glad that this guy's this smart and he can explain it in this way. Yeah. So then my cast that when I it occurred to me in the middle of shooting because I wanted to do a, a role reversal like gender swap. Oh. But then I I like I ran out of time. I thought of that and I forgot. Yeah. yeah. And then when I was when the words came out of my mouth of like, you know, the first time that you look up and you see her, you're supposed to like she should be so beautiful that you would they're like, yeah, Kill if she her. asked yeah. somebody to murder for me, I would do it. And I was like, "Well, who is that now?" And I was like, "Well, there's all these posters up for the long shot." And I gotta say, like, I think Charlize, Charlize Theron is one of the most beautiful women yeah. that's ever existed. So, yeah. but then I was like, wait a second. Okay, she's Neff. And then oh, she like walks it. in. Who does she look up and see? And would be like, well, I'm gonna have to kill his wife because he's that good looking. And I was like, well, huh. It's going to, I mean, this is going to be a very, very attractive, two very attractive people. I'm like, throw up Chris Hemsworth. (gasps) Yeah. He comes out in a bath towel and she's looking (laughs) up at him. (laughs) Come on. I'm like, green like this movie already. And so we do. You know what? They don't have to have any lines. They can. (laughs) All we have to do is look at him for two hours. Yeah. Okay. And then it's like, well, who's the keys then? Who's the mm-hmm. one that pieces this all together? Who is who is Charlene Theron's mentor? And I'm like, who would I really want to see? Who would piece it all together, be great and super entertaining? And, and you know, and, and but not be outsmarted, but then be very like broken hearted over the. You know, because Keys would vouch for yeah, Neff. I know. And so I'm like, you know who would? Olivia Coleman as Keys. <gasps> oh my God. This should be remade. <laughs> there you go. Oh, wow. That's really good. Because I thought they would have great scenes too, where, because it's Olivia Coleman. So she would also, even though she's like the mentor and stuff. It would still like I just think she would, could do so much with that because she yes. would she would bring it up, of yeah. like oh like okay all right you, but she could put Charlize in her place and she's so smart that Charlene's nephew would have affection for Olivia Coleman because like yeah. Olivia Coleman's so cool, yeah. 
Well done. Bingo. I like that a lot. I pulled that out of my butt while this show was going. And, and we didn't even notice. It, it wasn't even like you were. You yeah, it know. wasn't like you with your safety matches. It wasn't. I'm, telling it my, wasn't. I'm trying to tell a joke about corduroy <laughs> setting forest fires and there's nothing. Not even, there's bubkis, not even grasshoppers, <laughs> no, no crickets, nothing. I'm like, what is she looking at? <laughs> oh, now you look up safety matches. Oh. Went through this whole spiel about corduroys, oh. forest okay. fires. Because this, uh, yesterday, okay, so Poppy and I are going out to California to visit Aaron. And she asked for us to go through the old family movies to find this movie that she made when she was in first grade. Now, those of you who don't know, Erin Aaron had some thighs when she was in first grade. Erin um, was a chubby little girl. Gorgeous. So I'm watching. So when you're doing that, that corduroy thing with your thighs, I'm thinking of you doing the cat in the hat and your and your, My your Bob Fosse. I was doing Bob Fosse and didn't even know I was doing Bob Fosse. <laughs> so I look I'm thinking of that while I'm trying to do safety matches. I'm sorry that I didn't um the audience couldn't hear me laughing but I was. Oh so. you were laughing on the inside I, which is great on a podcast. <laughs> This is what happens when you hire an amateur to <laughs> podcast with you. I'm an okay. amateur. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Oh, wow. Th those were good times. We're to Tasty Nuggets now. Oh, I got a bunch. They're okay. I'm going to do place. one that you know, that you already, you, that you know that I'm going to say. Okay. Because it was one of your MVPs, When the Car Won't Start. Ah, yes. And that wasn't originally in the script, but it happened to Billy Wilder one day going home. His car wouldn't start, and he thought, oh, my gosh, this would be so good. Everybody and back to set. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have, it's a, it's a nerd alert tasting nugget. Mm -hmm. When Edward G. Robinson goes to Neff's apartment to say, you know, he's got the really bad acid indigestion because something isn't sitting right with this uh, accidental death. Mm -hmm. Well, she has gone to the apartment. Luckily, the apartment walls are paper thin because she can hear him inside. Well, the, the L.A. Paper walls are paper thin, so I believe that. <laughs> and so uh, Fred McMurray opens his door out into the hall yeah. for Edward G. Robinson to leave. And then that covers her being in the hallway because that would have blown him right there. Um, but doors are not allowed to open into the hallway. It's uh, That's against L.A. fire code. It's got to be against every fire code as well as uh, safety codes and whatever, whatnot. Yeah, but it's the reason is for its fire code. And... Um, Billy Wilder knew that, but he had to keep it because it just works. It's it just works because how else are you going to shield her? With yeah. <laughs> that wig is a person by itself. So <laughs> he's not going to just not see her standing yeah. there. But, that. you know, it was kind of when she walks in and she hears his voice, wouldn't you just turn around and skedaddle? 
Yeah. No, Could she be. just like waited got there. The stairwell. So yeah. I don't know. That was I'm just weird. Gonna listen to what he's saying. Yeah, I've been like, my eyes would have got big, and I would have done the the cartoon. <laughs> got out of there. All right, my tasty nuggets mm-hmm. settling, people. This is gonna go everywhere. All right, so Barbara Stanwyck, everyone loved her. She, when she was 50, there was this movie called 40 Guns, and there was a stunt where she falls off a horse and is dragged by the galloping animal. And the stunt person was like, nope, I I ain't doing this. Sorry. I didn't know they had that option. And Barbara Stanwyck was like, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, I will do it. And so she did it, and her professionalism led her to be named honorary member of the Hollywood Stuntman's Hall of Fame. Well played. It has been said that she was voted um, by the crew and everyone to be like, they loved working with her. She was super nice to everyone. She would learn the names of the spouses of all the crew and all of the people. And everyone just said that she was fantastic. Oh, Um, that's good to know. Yeah, her views she was kind of all in on the house of un-americans committee she was like yep go get them all out out of there so she was very much on the uh which is why she wanted to know everyone's spouse's name probably sure to get the whole family look at that Hmm. um and in 1928 she married this was her second marriage because her first husband died of like sepsis on a boat something Mm. weird like that um she married frank fay and i think he was some sort of dancer or something it was her second marriage and she could never have kids because at the age of 15 she had a botched abortion wow at 15 yeah so this Frank, this frank guy he allegedly beat her when he got drunk and some claim that this is the basis for a star is born. Really? Mm-hmm. And they were divorced in 1935. Wow. Yes. Um, it already, always comes back to a star is born. Yeah, it does. A star is born or gone with the wind. It always yep. comes back to there. So I already told you about the novella named Phyllis Nerdlinger. Um, I love it. Nerdlinger. It's, it's based off of, there's just there was this woman Ruth Snyder. Yep. And she was a real life woman who she didn't like. Her husband had a fiance who died and he put up pictures of the fiance. He named his boat after the fiance. And maybe he was a, I didn't, I didn't read too much into it. Maybe he laid hands on Ruth Snyder. Maybe he didn't. But anyway, Ruth Snyder uh plotted she had an affair and she basically plotted to kill her husband and they carried it out and they got caught they got caught because they staged it to look like he died in a burglary and then the things that were allegedly taken from the house the police found hidden in the house oh stupid people so yeah so ruth they caught her and they executed her and that was one of the most famous uh, photographs of the 1920s. 
Because they actually took a photo of it. Probably, man. It was the 20s, man. Thinking, I mean, this is 20 years. 20 years later, they're still going to be serving alcohol to people in cars with no seatbelts. So, no headrest. Yeah, you know, they gave zero fucks. They were just like, YOLO! Um, Raymond Chandler has a cameo. He's the man <laughs> reading the magazine outside Key's office. Like about 16 minutes in. Huh. Uh-huh. Um, rumor has it that... So James M. Kane, he was working... He was the writer of Double Indemnity, the novella. And it was that he was working for another studio. and he So he was unavailable at the time. But Kane says he was never asked. And that's what he says. But then another producer said, Well, why don't you get this Raymond Chandler guy to work on it? And Raymond Chandler and Billy Wilder did not work well together. Yeah, I did read that. But they were able to, like, um, like Billy Wilder was able to, like, come around and stuff. And when they first started working on it, Raymond Chandler, he was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was recovering from alcoholism. And then while working on this with Billy Wilder, he just, like, fell off the wagon and stuff. And then... That's why Billy Wilder did The Lost Weekend, which is about an alcoholic writer who can't write because he wanted to show, he wanted to explain um, Chandler to himself. It's like, hey, buddy, look, that's you on the film. Mm. Um, in the novella, uh, Keys is a clueless co worker, whereas in the movie, he's a mentor and nemesis. Yeah. And in the OG ending of the novella, it was suicide. They both took themselves out the game. But suicide, that's prevented by the Hays Code. Really? Mm -hmm. So then they changed it. Kind of narcissistic. Yeah. Well that and that's something that if there was violence, then the they it had to like people had to pay for it. You couldn't Ah. just get away with your bad behavior. So they did, um, they, Billy Wilder shot a gas chamber scene with mm. Neth, and it was going to be at the end, but then when he was watching the movie, he was like, well, this movie is just about these two guys. Like, the whole movie is his confession to Keys. Mm-hmm. I think that we can just end it here. So that's why it ends where it ends, and he just cut the gas chamber scene. Good. Mm-hmm. I like it this way. Um, in order to get dust, the look of dust in the air, that was aluminum particles that were blown into the air. And they oh would float down to create dust. They breathed in aluminum? That could not be good for anyone, right? Oh my god. Oh, and the the lighting and specifically the lighting going through the Venetian blinds. Because you notice that that was a, mm-hmm. a lot and it was especially a lot with um, Nerlinger, Phyllis and Neff because it also created the look of prison bars to signify they were getting boxed in. Oh. Mm-hmm. And. Very good. Let's see. Oh. She's been in the news lately. So Kate Smith, like, apparently implored people to stay away from this film on moral grounds. 
Kate she, Smith. The Kate Smith has been in the news because she was saying because everybody found out that she sang like racist songs. And she did God Bless America. Yeah. You didn't hear You're, about that? No. Yeah, she did God Bless America and they would always play it in the after 9-11 at Yankees games. They would put instead of take me out to the ballpark, they would play her version of of uh, what's it called? And then people were like, hey, you know, Kate Smith did like these uh, think songs, some songs like Thank God for Darkies or something. <gasps> it's like, yeah, <laughs> they, they basically found Kate Smith's Holiday Inn. And then oh, people, so then they were, the Yankees were like, all right, we're going to stop playing it. And I think that in Philadelphia, there's a statue to her. And I think they're taking down the statue to her. And so then, of course, some people are like, why are, like, what is going on? And why are, and so it's always like that kind of thing. Aaron, hmm. does this mean that you won't be singing her song at Christmas anymore? Wait, is it, that's Kate Smith that sings Kate that song? Smith. Man, oh man, oh man. Look at look at your this. childhood. Your childhood. This has just been taken away from me one brick at a time. Just one brick at a time. Just saying. I'm, I'm here and I'll be standing Christmas Eve in my hometown. I don't know, because I haven't, like, <laughs> looked into it and stuff. Like, I don't know. I can't imagine Christmas without you I, I probably am, but I'm not. But that's, like, for the, the family and stuff. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, Kate Smith was racist. I don't know. Well, but everybody now, was back then. Yeah, but I don't like that excuse either of, yeah, everybody was back then. Because not everybody was back then. It was the people who had the microphones and controlled the media yeah. and the newspapers were back then. There were plenty of people who were like, guys, that's wrong. And they, you know, they yeah, just they, were in they the didn't minority. Have a voice they didn't have heard. a voice to be heard. That's and that's that's so that's where I'm coming to. Am I going to sing that song? I don't know. Okay. Uh, one other and that, added to the list of things now that I have to. How am I going to feel when I'm seeing? Am I going to think of a racist now when I sing it? Great. I thought it was Ethel Merman or something. No, that wasn't Ethel. That was Kate Smith. Damn it. <laughs> sorry. Just damn it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, she sings the wrong lyrics to it and it's hysterical. She can also do it as Christopher Walken. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll do it as Christopher Walken. I don't know. I mean, we still watch White Christmas. Well, White Christmas isn't Holiday Inn. I know, but he still was in, like, yeah, he still true. was super racist in Holiday Inn. Yeah. And he was, he was a bad man. Anyways, okay. um, producers credit her with giving the movie more publicity and making people want to see it. Excellent. So, um, okay. It was nominated for Best Sound and lost to the film Wilson. It was nominated for Best Score and lost to Max Steiner's Since You Went Away. It was nominated for Best Black and White 
photography, cinematography, and lost to Laura. It was nominated for Best Writing and lost to Going My Way. It was nominated for Best Actress, and Ingrid Bergman won for Gaslight, which, like, that I do stand by. I haven't seen this Going My Way, which, by the way, stars Bing Crosby. So we won't be doing that one. <laughs> and I and I have it. Well, we might. I don't know. I just need a little bit of time to cool off. I'm anti-Bing right now. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm not saying that he's canceled or anybody. Like, I'm just saying, personally for me, I just need a timeout from Bing Crosby. I just need a minute to get over his, his blackface, his super racist shenanigans. That's just me. Other people do what you want. You're lucky you get to have that option. <laughs> Uh, best act, so Gaslight. I mean, come on, that was great. Best director, it lost to Going My Way, and Best Picture lost to Going My Way. Mm. So eventually, we're gonna have to do the Going My Way, just like we had to do How Green Is My Valley. <laughs> what the, what the fuck are these? Uh, oh, but also, Going My Way was done by the same studio. The same studio released them, and they put all the money behind Going My Way and not behind uh. this. That makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, the reason I chose Double Indemnity was because she lost to Ingrid from Gaslight. So, mm-hmm. okay, I have a couple. Um, Wait a second. I have one more. He, at one point, Neff references the Philadelphia story. This movie takes place in 1938. Philadelphia story didn't hit Broadway till 1939, and the movie didn't come out till 1940. All right, there you have it. Okay, mine is, even though he was um, a second, not second rate, but second billing for this, Edward G. Robinson was paid the same as Fred and Babs. Well, Edward G. Robinson was a big star. The thing was, no one wanted to be Walter Neff. They They couldn't find the guy. They couldn't cast the guy. And Billy Wilder had to to basically beg Fred Mc, whatever his name Murray. is. Yeah, Fred McMurray to be in, in the part. Um, James Cagney turned it down. Spencer Tracy turned it down. Gregory Peck turned it down. Damn. There was going to be a remake in the 70s. I thought there was and, one. No, the, it never went through. Oh. And Neff was going to be played by Robert Redford. Oh, interesting. In House of Cards, season five, Frank and Claire watch this movie. Because, you know, Frank and Claire were pretty much ready to kill each other. They were just, yeah, each one was plotting to kill the other one for when, before the other one was plotting to kill them. Mm-hmm. It was like, is, she, is it going to be now? No? Fine. I'll wait. Is it going to be now? So I I think it was great. I do like film noir. I like the twists. The um, cinematography is great. Um, the performances were great. The 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 one liners were great. So I, mean, I recommend watching it. How good is Billy Wilder? Yeah, I say good, quite good. Mm-hmm. So so that brings us to what we're watching next week 
And I got a text from Erin yesterday that she had already picked her pick. Mm-hmm. I was at That's the, very unusual. I was people. at the laundromat. I was her doing the mat. I was doing the particulars. It said Billy Wilder co-wrote this, and I was like, "Man, Billy, what else did you co-write, Billy Wilder?" And then I was like, "Well, son of a bitch, if this movie comes up one more time, Nanichka, that's what we're doing." Oh, finally. I know nothing about it except that it comes up every freaking week. It just seems to come up every week. It's got Greta Garbo in it. We've never done her. It's an Ernest. Isn't it, isn't it a Ernest Liptich? Liptich? The Liptich touch? You're, you're asking me. Oh, the Liptich touch. I don't know. Can we get it on? Um, I checked. I we t- can. Okay, good. It's a romantic comedy. That sounds good. I can always use romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Greta Garbo. Excellent. Yeah, it's an earnest loop ditch. Remember we the shop around the corner? Yes. Yep. So there we go. It's written by Billy Wilder, Charles Brackett, and Walter Reich. Excellent. And then... The following weekend, I will be in Los Angeles. So are we not doing one? I don't know. People asked me if we were doing one together. Oh, well. We'll have to see how, how it goes. You would have to bring a microphone. Oh, then we, it would probably be the following Or week. maybe not. I think I have a microphone. I think I have a microphone here. I don't have a stand. We ju- we don't. That is yet to be determined. TBD. TBD. But next week we will be here with Ninchka. Yeah, Ninochka. I I call it Ninochinka, and yeah, you do. I think that's completely wrong. I think that's just that's just my mouth saying I want to say it this way. And my eyes going, I don't know how to say this. There's a lot of letters I'm unfamiliar with together. Plus it sounds like balachinka, which is what uh, my my aunt on my father's side used to make as a dessert for us. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Okay, well, there you go, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this week of, of film noir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listening next week. Bye bye.